0: Greetings and aloha. Welcome to episode four of series one holistic nutrition in our solo episode series for the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I am your host, Ronnie Landis, and uh, today we have yet another interesting deep dive rabbit hole and three particular topics that all seem to coincide with one another in unique, interesting, and non-obvious ways. They're pretty obvious to me, but that's only because I have been exploring and investigating these topics and also organizing unique novel bits of information that I've pulled just through the years of – Seemingly random investigations into the fringes of holistic health and natural nutrition, natural foods, cleansing, detoxing, um, you know, overcoming whatever particular health issues, metabolic, digestive issues in particular, immune system antagonizing issues, which are, you know, the main things that people are dealing with when it comes to digestive problems, um, things like leaky gut, things like um, SIBO and irritable bowel syndrome, uh, candida, bacterial overgrowth, dysbiosis, um, you know, these kind of issues that ultimately lead into autoimmune conditions or autoimmune-like conditions. Maybe it's not an overt autoimmune condition, something like a rheumatoid arthritis or a Hashimoto's thyroiditis or a Graves' disease or something that we would think of as an overt autoimmune condition where the immune system is perceivably attacking or antagonizing a specific portion of the body, say in a rheumatoid arthritic situation. The idea is that the the immune system or certain aspects of the immune system are going rogue and attacking the wrists and the joints, for example. So we call that rheumatoid arthritis. That is classified as an autoimmune condition. Diabetes, by the way, um, there's a term, diabetes, and and basically diabetes type 3. So diabetes is actually considered somewhat of an autoimmune condition as well. Very interesting perspective on that. Um, You know, this is an interesting topic in of itself, autoimmune conditions, because there's different perspectives. And I don't think it's so literal that the immune system itself is going rogue. What appears to be part of the case is that there's faulty information and that there is almost like a Jedi mind trick going on. It's almost like there has been a persuasion, NLP, miscommunication type of situation where the immune system has gotten a hold of the wrong information and it is going after it because that's just what it does. And this can actually be, this is an interesting rabbit hole to go down real quick. And it's interesting to even go down it because I wasn't expecting to do this, but that's the whole value of these episodes is that um, they are pretty much off the cusp. I can just go down any rabbit hole I I so please and we'll see where it goes. Um, This idea in particular though, where am I going with this? So I'm thinking of a situation where, you know, along the lines of an autoimmune condition, an autoimmune-like response or reaction, the phenomena of autoimmunity And this idea that your immune system is being misdirected, well, that's exactly what happens when you have an infectious organism or something called an opportunistic organism like um, a calcification, like a nanobacteria, something called a nanosinguensis, which is a nano-sized bacteria, which is sort of like a viral bacterial infection, and it's a calcium-forming organism or you have um, something that we would associate with cancer or even the, um, the Lyme spirochete, um, infection, uh, something that that is that you know, in Lyme's disease, Lyme disease, or cancer, or um, Candida, many of these different issues. These are all infection-based organisms at the root cause. And basically, what they do is they create a misdirection of the immune system through secreting certain chemicals. For example, a parasite infection will the parasite will actually secrete certain chemicals that are actually the real problem in a lot of cases. It's not actually the parasite in of itself. It's the metabolite of the parasite or of the fungal organism or the virus. It's what they leave off into the bloodstream that creates creates a reaction in the blood and the immune system responds to that. But then the organism like the parasite is left to go do whatever it does because the immune system is essentially distracted and over enough time, what ends up happening is that that organism feeds, say for example, a parasite feeds on the blood supply and it will extract vitamin B12 and other B vitamins out, it'll slowly drip them out, it'll leak that from the blood supply and the immune system will slowly start to collapse. It will slowly be lulled to sleep. And the immune system all the whole time was basically off on a wild goose chase. It was going the other direction. And the organism was able to do what they did. And they slowly leaked the system till the immune system basically loses energy and can no longer function and does not have the ability to um, actually deal with the organism itself. That's kind of the idea there, and I think that's a more sophisticated and a more accurate idea of what this autoimmune conditions actually are. So that's a little perspective I didn't expect to go into, but hey, there you go. Um, so today's talk is really about three things in particular. It's food addictions, food allergies, and food combining. Now, what do all of these things have to do with each other? Well, they, they are, they're all synonymous in some shape or form. Food combining and the combinations of food, particularly the macronutrients, in the form of those macronutrients, whether they're plant-based, they're organic, they're processed, cooked or raw, um, has a huge, a huge effect on your digestive system. And it has a few, huge effect on these organisms like candida, for example, that are feeding on the fermentation of certain macronutrients, let's say either sugar that's fermenting um, on top of the digestion of fat, or um, you know, something to do with the, the protein, the undigested protein. Compounds that are building up in the body, and that has to go somewhere. There has to be a scavenging organism, like a parasite, like a fungal organism, like Candida, for example. It has to eat up all the necrotic dead matter. Otherwise, that builds up into the system and that creates impactions and that basically creates a toxic environment. So these organisms actually serve a benevolent purpose and like my colleague and my my dear friend, Dr. Robert Kassar always says, it's not about killing things like antibiotics, for example. It's not about killing things. It's about terrain modification. Is the inner terrain of your your inner ecosystem of your digestive tract is it hospitable to oxygen respiring cells, right? Um, aerobic respiration, which is what you want, anti cancer, oxygenation, ozonation, sanitation, or is it for anaerobic organisms which are fermenting? fermentation-based respiration and that's what all these organisms respire on is fermentation particularly of these sugars or other matter that has to has to be eaten up somehow right otherwise it creates a toxic polluted situation inside the body right so that that's really interesting food combining critically important to understand how that plays out into these other subjects. We'll come back to food combining in a little bit. What I want to talk about first is food addictions and food allergies. I, over the years, got very fascinated and have been fascinated with the topic of addictions, addictive-like behavior, substance addiction, uh, technology addiction, food addictions, and um, you know this idea that You could become addicted to something that was detrimental to you, and what is that all about? Why would somebody consciously or unconsciously continue to compulsively repeat a behavior that was clearly self-defeating, that was clearly um, self-destructive, alcohol, fake, chemicalized tobacco, uh, marijuana, in most cases, the way that people use it, all forms of street drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, um, antidepressants, psychiatric type of drugs, that's all pharmaceutical medications. Um, food is a drug, food is the biggest drug, typically speaking, etc. Um, etc. Et well, this goes, th- this is a bit of a deeper thing. You can go into the 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 chemical pathways of the brain particularly the serotonergic and the dopaminergic pathways of how our dopamine is responding to pleasure and the in the the avoidance of pain so in other words most addictive behavior is an attempt to seek pleasure and to avoid pain so there is a there is a psychological emotional trauma based association with all forms of compulsive repetitive behavior that is self-defeating so that is a huge factor it's a major factor and dr gabor mate who wrote the many books like uh your body was it uh your when your body says no there's another book uh hungry ghosts which really goes into this particular topic these are all more psychological emotional and even spiritually based What I'm going to talk about is more just on the ground, the food-based perspective, Um, a little bit about the biology. We'll see where it goes, but I want to tie in two important perspectives, which is that food allergies and food addictions are synonymous with one another. There is a feedback system between the food allergies and food addictions that we tend to have. And I want to break that down for you. Now, in my holistic health mastery online holistic nutrition certification program, I have a section where I go into these topics in extreme detail. So, and also my book, Holistic Health Mastery Program, I have an entire section on these two. So if you want to go deeper into that, I suggest you, you go into that material. But um, basically the point that I want to get across right now is that there's a phenomenon that I've witnessed, I've seen, and it's not just me. This is something that's actually kind of well-known in a lot of different circles, but it's also not that well-known in in many circles as well, which is that oftentimes the foods that people are quote-unquote addicted to, they actually have an allergy to as well. Whether that allergy was developed – through over-tolerance of over-consuming that particular food and their body has built up a tolerance and now their immune system is sending off what's called a histamine reaction and it's, it's sending this kind of chemical feedback system. And that person may be getting the false sensation of energy from that food but it's not actually energy that they're getting it's that their immune system is going on red alert and it's adrenalizing their body so what they're mistaking as energy is actually adrenaline and cortisol and it's the stress response and their immune system is actually getting jacked up and that's the that's their that's their interpretation of getting energy because before those same foods were weakening their metabolism. They were weakening their hormones. They were weakening their, um, their, their energy levels. So over time of consuming these foods over and over and over, that person gets weaker and weaker. But then when they consume it, particularly early in the day, then similar to caffeine, then you get that jolt and you think, oh, I'm getting energy from this thing. It must be good for me. Um, But you also notice that you can't seem to live without that thing also, and that is a strong indication that, that you have an allergic response and you're also tied into a feedback loop that is less than easy to get out of, right? So this perspective in of itself, critically important to understand because you could be caught up in this loop and not even know why. So let's put that on the table. Um, Let's just know that that's going on. And then let's talk about food allergies. Now, first of all, let's understand something. The top five food allergies across the board, these are things that almost everybody has an allergic reaction to and the things that I would immediately just get everybody off right out the gate. Whether you're on a cleansing diet, optimization diet, an upgrade diet, a elimination diet, or you're just on any kind of lifestyle that you're trying to, trying to move forward with, these are the five things I would remove right out the gate, which is wheat, corn, soy, dairy, and most forms of sugar, particularly refined forms of sugar. Okay, let's start there. Now, you could go way deeper into this, like peanut allergies, aflatoxins, um, you know, egg allergies, particularly the white of the egg and the enzyme inhibitors that are in the white of the egg. So if you do do eggs, you particularly want to focus on the yolk because that's where the nutrition is. The whites can have digestive issues, nut allergies, coconut allergies, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's all nuanced subdivision things. I want to focus on what is universal. So let's start with wheat. Now, we know that the majority of wheat that we have available to us is hybridized. It's excessively bred, extremely low nutrition, and it is there's particular proteins in it that are glutinaceous. Now glutinaceous is just kind of a it's, a, it's a plural type of word to describe gluten. Glutinaceous meaning that it has it's kind of like, there's a word called proteinaceous meaning that it's protein rich. Glutinaceous means that it has a lot of the gluten protein, right? Most people are aware of that. Now associated with gluten, gluten is something called gliadin. Now gliadin appears to be the 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 protein molecule that is responsible if not just partially responsible for a, a phenomenon called leaky gut syndrome. Leaky gut syndrome is basically if you imagine your intestinal wall, the lining of your intestinal tract, especially in the small intestine, if you imagine the wall, there's tiny, tiny junctions where micronutrients broken down and nutrients from digestion of our food slip into our blood and they're in a micronized size that can fit into the receptor sites of our cells. Now, what happens with leaky gut, and this also leads into autoimmune issues, inflammatory issues, is that there's been a wedging of those junctions and they've been opened up wider than they should. And... They're basically being held open, and they need to be sealed back up. They need to be healed and sealed. And gliadin is one of the one of the issues with this. It creates a wedging, and then you know basically um, unprocessed, um, unmetabolizable forms of protein, in particular, slip through the cracks, go into your blood system, and your immune system goes crazy from there. That's the basic idea. OK, um, you know, so that that's that's one thing. Now the, I could go, we could go deeper into wheat and like einkorn, which is the original form of wheat, which is a whole different subject. We're just talking about um, what most of us have available today. And most people have wheat issues. They have gluten issues and gluten intolerance. And then this leads into a conversation around celiacs and all that kind of thing. The the point is that you're better off without glutinaceous foods. This can also inco- include non-activated forms of barley, rye. Um, certain grains can have gluten-like reactions for some people, especially if you're super sensitive. There are. Um, there's another piece to this too, which I want to get through, which is that. A lot of the gluten issues are not just the gluten and gliadin, but it's also the the chemical, the herbicide called glyphosate that is embedded into the wheat that's being grown all over the place. and It's basically part of Monsanto's genetically modified Roundup Ready weed killer that's being sprayed on all chemical agriculture, all genetically modified food, the whole lot. So that's the other aspect of that as well um so moving on from there that's wheat that's gluten and then let's talk about soy now there's a lot of topic around soy here's my perspective after years of investigation the only soy i would ever recommend for minimal consumption is fermented uh, like miso like tempeh fermented organic 93 percent and growing if not more of the soy grown in the world has been classified as genetically modified okay this is this is not me saying this this is this is uh, this is the statistics. Most of the soy that's grown is grown on wiped out Amazonian, um, rainforest that have been basically clear cut so they can grow soy plantations, growing genetically modified soy that can be shipped over to factory farms and fed to sick cattle that aren't even designed to consume that. They consume it. They get autoimmune digestive issues. They produce what's called methane gas, which is the number one polluter in our ozone, in our atmosphere. Um, And if you're into any kind of like vegan, vegetarian, animal rights conversation, you're well aware of this. Um, It's because of what they're being fed. And then these animals have to take antibiotics and hormone replacement therapy and all this crazy stuff. They're not being fed a natural diet by any means. And then poor people are eating poor, sick animals. You know, this is what's going on. So karmically speaking, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, but, but healthfully speaking, it doesn't make any sense either. And we can do a longer thing on soy. I don't want to get too deep into it. I'm just going to say in my professional opinion, there's no real reason to consume soy products whatsoever. It's not very beneficial. And even for a lot of the people that are like in the, the kind of the vegan world that are promoting vegan bodybuilding and all this kind of stuff, and they look healthy, they look like they're doing really good. They're still promoting this kind of like this vegan cooked or not cooked food diet that's just like really not where we're at. Like if you've listened to my Living Foods 101 talk and my Superfoods 101 talk and the Tonic Herbal 101 talk that we did before this, please help me help you understand that we are so far beyond where most people are even in the the quote unquote sophisticated vegan organic plant-based movement people are still in like the 1980s of of nutrition it's like we are so far beyond that you want to get your protein spirulina is the highest protein source in the world, animal or plant. It's the highest concentration of bioavailable protein in the world. We have free form, completely bioavailable forms of amino acids, particularly in uh, a product from my company that I work with called Perium. that you can go to iShopPerium.com. use my code HUMANPOTENTIAL, you'll save a ton of money on your order. And there's a product called um, um, Super Aminos 23, it's a full-spectrum essential amino acid product from amino acids that have been extracted from legumes and they have a 99% absorbability within 23 minutes of taking them in and this is the most advanced form of protein in the world like it's 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 just like come on guys we don't need to keep going into the dark ages of nutritional conversations let's get to where the science is let's get to where the, the industry is and let's get on with something that actually makes sense. So when it comes to soy, it just does not make sense. It can have very troubling effects on your hormones, your immune system. Um, yes, it can be antagonistic to your digestive system. There are phytoestrogens in it. It might not be huge. It depends on the person's metabolism. Everyone's different, but it's definitely it definitely is more prone for estrogenic Um, Inflation than not, and it can be bad for your thyroid. End of story. Um, Next, refined sugar, that's obvious. What else do we say? Dairy, dairy products, like getting off dairy altogether is so absolutely important. And I will say this on dairy if you're into raw dairy, particularly cow's dairy, A2 cow's dairy, Um, I believe it's A2. I'm not really deep into that kind of thing, but there's A1 and there's A2. So I believe it's A2 is what you want. And here's what I'll say about dairy. If you're going to consume it, preferably it would be goat's dairy and it would be raw, unpasteurized goat's dairy from a farm that you yourself have access to or you can call and check up on. You would want – that would be ideal. Um, you know the thing with the dairy, I and mean, there's so many problems with dairy just all across the board. I would say even if you're going to do the raw goat's dairy, get off dairy for some time so you can clean out your body of the the mucolaginous buildup, uh, the mucus buildup basically, and you can clear your sinuses, you can clear your your lungs. And you can clear your 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 kind of your your digestive cavity and that whole your intestines and all that stuff because of all the years of consuming all the pasteurized homogenized antibioticized hormonally injected um, cow's dairy that's been homogenized with literally hundreds of different cow species or not species but different cows. And it's just like it's been a complete nightmare. That is all left glue like resin residue in our body, and that has got to get cleared out. And before you introduce any other kind of dairy, now what I'll say also about this is ghee is a superfood, ghee butter, which is Ayurvedic based. Um, clarified or rarefied, purified, I'm using a lot of words, let's just say purified butter that comes from a 5,000-year-old lineage of Ayurvedic Indian medicine, medicinal foods. And what they do is they strip the lactose fat molecules in the casein protein, which is Highly inflammatory, one of the biggest issues with cow's dairy. They strip that, and so you get the pure alchemical butter. Um, And it's been, and and it comes from sacred cows, by the way. In in the the Indian Hindu culture of 5,000 years of of vegetarianism, they realized that they needed a fat source and they didn't want to eat meat. They're a vegetarian society for the most part. So they figured out that. They could actually do something called animal husbandry, work with the cow, which was sacred to them. They prayed with the cow. They took care of it. I mean, this was not a normal situation. They they actually imbued their own reverence and love upon the cow. And the cow delivered this like very alchemical, deeply concentrated nourishing form of butter, which is still done worldwide. And by the way, the grass eating cow, consuming what's called activated grass, which is just at a particular growing cycle in the year, grass concentrates what's called activator X or K2, Um, vitamin K2, not K, not vitamin K, which stands for coagulation, which comes from like spinach, but vitamin K2 that comes from the grass that's concentrated in the butter. That is a very, very important nutrient, particularly for vegan or vegetarian diets. So I just want to make that distinction. Um, But there is a time to get off all dairy products altogether so you can cleanse and detox. Then reintroduce the right stuff in moderation for your own uh, caloric and metabolic needs. Okay, so... We don't have a lot of time on this and I didn't want to go too – we already went into so many interesting things as it is. But I want to tie these things together. Food addictions, food allergies are very well related. Now, there's something I want to mention before I talk a little bit about food combining and then we're going we're gonna to conclude this. Um, Dr. Batman Galage who wrote the famous book, Your Body's Many Cries for Water – Um, I mentioned in many of my talks, podcasts, interviews, my books, and even the Health Mastery Program, I have mentioned that when Dr. Batman Galage, he had a very unique therapy, and it was basically water therapy, and he discovered that most people were dehydrated and they were demineralized, so what he discovered was that when you add salt and water together, Not only does it rehydrate somebody, but it helps to remineralize that person, and that is actually a cause of tons of allergies In allergic reactions that are going on. And this is also found out in um, school children, people, kids with ADD and ADHD. They found out that it was a combination of being demineralized and consuming foods that they were allergic to. So once you got them off the top five food allergies, got them off the wheat, got them off the dairy, got them off the soy, got them off God knows what else – and you just got them on an elimination diet. That's why the paleo diet actually does work really well for people, especially short term, is because it gets them off of this stuff, and then the, people's behavior normalizes. It, it's 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 amazing. I've seen this time and time again. It's like clockwork. So what he discovered was he would give people water and salt, and it would start to sort out their Their reactive issues, whatever those things were, their allergic issues, they would stop being so allergic. their their allergies would go down. So that's powerful. Water and salt. Okay So the last thing I want to talk about is food combining. I'm not going to go into a whole dissertation on food combining. Get my book, The Holistic Health Mastery Program, on my website, ronnylandis.net, or on Amazon. I have an entire thing on food combining. It breaks down the food combining chart. One of the things I do want to mention, though, about this, which is really fascinating, is that, yes, food combining, a few things that are important. Proteins, carbohydrates don't typically go very well together. Now, it's different when you're talking about raw plant food and you're talking about cooked food. Um, the whole like the whole bread and the whole uh, whatever sandwich idea, you know, like having your uh, uh, what is a salami or your turkey sandwich or your hamburger or whatever. That whole combination is not actually that great. The whole sushi idea of having raw sushi or anything that's like protein rich and then having the the starchy carbohydrate together, not a great digestive issue. There's a conflict between the the, the carbohydrates, especially the starchy carbohydrate, and the protein itself. Now, what's interesting about food combining is that there was a man named Ivan Pavlov, and you might remember Pavlov's dog, those famous studies where they would – Basically, use I don't know if they use like hypnosis, but they use on um, a um, uh, pattern repetition with dogs, and um, you know Pavlov's dog. You know, look that up. It's a pretty famous, pretty famous thing. Anyways, Ivan Pavlov discovered that there's different for different macronutrients like carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. They all require a different digestive pH, meaning a different Acid production in the in in your stomach to to um, metabolize them. So, for example, proteins in order to secrete the the proper acids that secrete the right the pepsin enzyme that that helps to um, digest your proteins, it has to be at a certain. A lowered pH, like an inferno, basically. You have to have a lot of digestive fire. That's different than digesting fruit. That's different than digesting carbohydrates. You have what's called amylase enzymes, which are carbohydrate secreting enzymes or um, uh, carbohydrate enzymes. They come out of your salivary cavity and or your oral cavity, and it's when you salivate and they come out of that. And they immediately start eliminating the carbohydrate, not eliminating, you know what I'm saying, not eliminating, but start metabolizing it because it doesn't require a lot of energy to metabolize fruit in most carbohydrates. If you're dealing dealing with things that are very fibrous, like green leafy vegetables, then you need cellulose, but you don't need a lot of stomach acid. If you're you're, um, digesting meat, fish, Um, things of that nature, then you need more stomach acid. And if you're definitely cooked food, you need more stomach acid, right? So if you're combining these things together inappropriately, it can create a conflict digestively. And especially if you consume too much sugar and fat mixed up together, like in a traditional ice cream or something like that, That can also lead to problems because the fat takes a lot longer to go through what's called the transit time of the digestive system than sugar. And if sugar is on top of the fat waiting to digest over many, many, many hours or even days for some people, then that sugar will ferment and then that's when we have these critters, these fungal issues start to creep in. So hopefully that all makes sense There's a lot here that you'll have to kind of go and uncover for yourself. Um, One of the cool things, and this relates back to the Superfood 101 talk, is that when you start getting onto... A liquid based, superfood based diet, and even like um, a high liquid based raw food diet, you start getting on this upgraded program, you don't have these issues. You don't have to worry about this stuff because the cool thing about living foods and superfoods, you eliminate the food allergies all out the gate. You don't need, there's no use for them, right? You eliminate it right out the gate. It's gone, done. Over and the best place to get started or to upgrade your liquid-based superfood protocol is actually, uh, you know, I mentioned it before, and I'll continue to mention it because I'm such a believer in it. And by the way, most of my superfood products now come from this company, which is Purium. And you can go to iShopPurium.com. Make sure you use my code Human Potential because you're going to save. $50 or 25% off your entire order, and that's that's over the lifetime of your orders, right? So that's not just a one-time thing. This company is absolutely incredible. What they're doing for the environment, what they're doing for organic agriculture and protecting organic farms around the world is is second to none, and their quality of products are second to none, which is why I believe in them so much. And, um, you can really just upgrade your entire, your entire deal out the gate so fast, so fast, such a game changer. Um, yeah, so there you go. This, this was, this, this is again, not another off the top of my mind, spontaneous download on food allergies, food addictions and food combining. I hope you enjoyed this talk. Um, and, uh. Yeah, I hope to talk to you soon, and um, we will uh, we will not see you, but we will you will hear from me on the next episode.